we're going to start a, a new six-week series called Multiply. Uh, we'll focus on various aspects of this idea of spiritual multiplication, how the gospel bears fruit in and through our lives and through our church. And as we look at the scriptures in general, we see this overarching value of spiritual multiplication at every level of the kingdom. In the Old Testament, uh, it speaks of God's kingdom starting off with, with one man, one family, one nation, Israel, but eventually growing to incorporate all of the nations of the earth so that the glory of God uh, spreads throughout the earth as the waters cover the sea. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he speaks in terms of a multiplying harvest a fruitfulness, a, a tiny mustard seed that becomes the largest plant in the garden where uh, all the birds uh, find shelter. He speaks of yeast that starts off small but leavens the entire batch of dough. And, and God expects that these general principles of spiritual growth, of increasing fruitfulness, uh, God expects those to characterize our lives as individuals as well. God intends the message of his kingdom to bear spiritual fruit in you and through you. We can't settle with simply throwing, uh, throwing up, <laughs> showing up to church. Hopefully it doesn't lead to throwing up. We can't, we can't settle with simply showing up to church and kind of going through the motions, checking, checking the box, expecting the status quo. The gospel brings transformation and growth multiplying spiritual fruit. And so today we're going to look at the general principle of spiritual multiplication from the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. In subsequent weeks, we'll look at topics like uh, multiplying our lives through discipleship, uh, multiplying our lives through our children, multiplying our lives through evangelism. The series will culminate with our 2020 Missions Week, a two-Sunday span, February 2nd and 9, where we'll focus on multiplying our reach as a local church through our partnership with missionaries, and finally, multiplying our church through church planting. The Missions Conference will tuck in right before that sixth uh, sermon on the Saturday before February 8, will reinforce everything we've been talking about in the service, uh, the sermon series in general, with a particular focus this year on church planting. So that's where we're headed for these next six weeks. And so today we'll begin with this general idea of spiritual multiplication from the parable of the sower. And you can find that uh, in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. Uh, it's on page 814 in the Bibles, in the, in the racks in front of you on the chairs, or you can follow along in the screen. As you're turning there, what I want us to see from this passage is that first we need to have receptive hearts towards the Word of God ourselves so that bears fruit in us, and then by extension, we can sow the Word to others so that God bears fruit through us. And so I'll begin um, by reading the first 12 verses, and we'll pick up the others as we go. This is the Word of God, Mark 4, verses 1 through 12. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and soon, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is God's word. I said I would only read through verse 12, but I guess I got carried away and read the whole passage. So uh, you, hopefully you're blessed by that. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that as we come and gather before your word today, that we would have ears to hear. Lord, open our hearts to receive your word, that we would understand it, that we would, uh, we would apply it, Lord, that you would shape us to be more like your son. Lord, bear fruit in us and through us, um, increasingly, Lord, multiple times over. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have three points today. The first is that spiritual multiplication is tied to having a receptive heart towards God's word, having a receptive heart towards the word. Jesus doesn't tell this parable at the beginning of his ministry. It comes in, in Mark chapter 4. He's already been teaching throughout the towns and the region around Galilee, the north part of Israel. He's healed many people already. He's cast out demons. He's identified and called the 12. He's had several confrontations over different issues with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in chapter 3, it concludes with Jesus' own family trying to seize him because they thought he was out of his mind, even as the teachers of the law were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan, getting his power from the devil. And so we see already in Jesus' ministry incredible fruit, but much opposition. And so Jesus tells the parable of the sower in part to explain while some people follow him and their lives are changed, and yet many people, even his own family at this point in time, reject him and oppose him. The sower in the parable is first and foremost Jesus. 
And in a secondary sense, everyone else who would ever share God's word in the gospel. The seed is the word of God, which Jesus explains in verse 14. And and the various soils, as he explains in verses 15 through 20, refer to different people. Or the parallel passage in Matthew talks about people's hearts. People or their hearts. Jesus' point is that our response to the gospel is always dependent on the condition of our hearts. You see, parables were stories that drew a comparison between the kingdom of God and some aspect of everyday life. They illustrated. Parables instructed. But Jesus says here that they also concealed in some way. Even the disciples are confused by Jesus' point in this parable, and he explained to them in private afterwards, making this distinction we see in verse 11, between those who are given the secret of the kingdom of God and outsiders who reject him, who who don't understand. And then Jesus makes this incredibly hard and confusing statement in verse 12 about the outsiders. He says these people uh, are ever seen but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding lest they turn and be forgiven. What in the world does that mean? Is Jesus trying to prevent people from hearing and perceiving and understanding the truth that he came to deliver? Well, it's important to understand the context of this statement. It's actually a quote that he makes from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 6, which is uh, describing the hard-heartedness of Israel at that particular time. They had hard hearts towards God. They had rejected his word. They had broken covenant and turned away from him. And Jesus is saying that, that they did that just like the Pharisees and the others who were rejecting Jesus at this point in his ministry. And so like the prophets of old, Jesus explained that he used parables as a prophetic warning, in a sense, to those who were hard-hearted towards him, even as they illustrated truths about the kingdom of God to those who had hearts that were open to him. In other words, Jesus' parables were designed to test the spiritual responsiveness of his hearers. And this is Jesus' point in verse 9. After he tells the parable, he says, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And that's, that's the key to spiritual multiplication in your life and mine. The kingdom comes to those, as, as it says in verse 20, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. That requires us to wrestle with the word, not just to hear it and let it pass by us, but to reflect on it, to to think about it till it sinks in like seed, and and, and until it's put into practice so that it changes the way we live, the way we see the world, the way uh, we value things. Psalm 1 describes the blessed person as the righteous person whose delight is in the law of of the Lord, the word of God, who meditates on God's law day and night. This person, it says, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season. Friends, it's important to realize that we don't produce this fruit ourselves. God does that through the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but he does that as the Spirit takes the word of God and changes our hearts with it in order to produce fruit. 
And so are you invested in the Word of God? Do you read it each day? Do you meditate on it? Do you tease out its implications for your life, what you're going through at that particular time, how you think, how you live? Do you ask God how he might want you to apply it in your life? That's not legalistic to uh, encourage us to be doing this, to invest ourselves in the word of God. This is the lifeblood of a person who loves Jesus and who wants to, to know him more. It's the heart cry of a person who wants to bear spiritual fruit. You can't be a disciple and not bear fruit. Fruit is a sign of life. It's the mark of a true believer. John 15, Jesus explained, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God's desire for you, for me, for us, is that we bear much fruit. I mean, what a grace. What, what a glory. And that inevitably happens, Jesus says, as we get close to him and his word abides in us. Or to use the language of, of Mark 4, if we hear and receive the word of God so that it produces a crop. Spiritual multiplication is tied, friends, to having a receptive heart, a longing for more of God's word. Hearing it, accepting it, applying it to your life. It's the mark of a true disciple. Second, Jesus describes three barriers to this, three barriers to spiritual multiplication. And in this parable, there are three different types of soils which represent people who reject the word. And we might call the first one the unresponsive heart in verse 15. The unresponsive heart. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So these are people that have nothing to do with the Word of God. They reject it as soon as they hear it. This may represent a very skeptical person who rejects Christianity, uh, Christianity outright. But I would suggest to you that it, it might even represent someone who simply never lets the Word sink in. A nominal Christian who, who professes general belief, if asked, and attends church perhaps, but God's truth does not move them makes no difference in their life, their heart, their daily life. They come, they sit in church, but the word has no impact on them. Is that you? Are you just checking the box, going through the motions, but not really ever letting the word sink into your heart to shape your thinking and the way you live day in, day out through the week? If it is, the good news is that it doesn't have to be that way. Be honest about it. Confess it to God. Ask God, Lord, soften my heart towards you, towards your words. And then, and then take specific steps to invest yourself in God's word, asking God to teach you and grow you as you devote yourself to his word. 
Jesus says here that Satan comes and takes the word away from these people. And it's important to remember that verse 15 doesn't cancel out verse 9, right? This is not an excuse. Uh, People are responsible for how they respond to the word, but Jesus acknowledges there's a spiritual dimension to life. It's a spiritual battle raging for our souls, and he stresses that those who treat the word so lightly as to immediately reject it are influenced by the temptations of the evil one. Well, the next soil is the impulsive heart. The impulsive heart, verses 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. These people act on the spur of the moment. They immediately accept the word, even with joy, it says, but they immediately fall away when things get hard. Perhaps it's just an emotional response to the gospel, and then when their emotions shift, so does their faith. But regardless, this person hasn't wrestled with the Word of God. They, it hasn't become a, a, a conviction of, of their heart. They, they haven't been convicted of its truth, convinced of its truth. I think many of us know people who seem to be enthusiastic about their faith for a time. Uh, but when it doesn't seem to be working for them according to their expectations, they conclude it must not be true. When trouble comes, maybe it's a health crisis or a loss of a job or a loved one. Maybe it's the rejection in a relationship or years of longing for a spouse and not finding one. Whatever it is, when trouble comes, this this faith just melts away. Or persecution, he mentions. Actual suffering caused by others because you follow Jesus. This uh, People sometimes will conclude it's just not worth it. I don't, I don't need this. And, and, and this is becoming more and more likely in our cultural climate that, that we'll actually experience outright hostility because of our faith. Are you ready to be labeled a hater or a bigot because your morals are informed by a biblical worldview, biblical values that run at cross purposes with our culture? It's coming if it hasn't happened already. The only way we're able to stand up to persecution is to be so captivated by Jesus' love for you, demonstrated on on his death on the cross, that you're willing to deny yourself and take up your own cross to follow him, to save your life, as, as Jesus says in Mark 8, by losing it for Jesus and his gospel mission. And so you need to sit with the word long enough that you come to understand not just in your head, but in your heart, just what Jesus did for you, his sacrificial love for you, so that that captivates your heart and you come to love the one who first loved you more than you love comfort or convenience. The third soil is the preoccupied heart. The preoccupied heart, verses 18 and 19, still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
Are you so distracted by the material things, the, the workaday world, the pressure to get ahead or to make sure that your kids are involved in all of the right activities and clubs that you just don't feel like you have the time to devote yourself to the Word in any meaningful way? Or you might be preoccupied by the deceitfulness of wealth. If you're poor, you might be deceived that if only you had more, you'd be happy. Or if you're rich, maybe you imagine that only if you had a bit more, then uh, you would finally be satisfied. But either way, whether rich or poor, the pursuit of money becomes these people's master rather than Jesus. And Jesus explains, you can't serve two masters. We can be distracted by more than worries and wealth. Jesus adds this statement, the desires for other things. And of course, our desires can be wrong if we desire sinful things. Uh, Sexual intimacy with someone other than a spouse. Uh, Pornography is rampant. It sucks away hours of free time and kills the desire to be in God's Word, among other things. But our desires uh, for things that are otherwise legitimate can also be out of balance too. We may watch TV or surf social media or play video games or pursue sports or music or other activities and hobbies and commitment to the extent that we don't have time for God. We don't have time to devote ourselves to His Word. And so if you find yourself with a preoccupied heart, step back, consider your priorities. Are you pushing out the things that ultimately satisfy for lesser things? C.S. Lewis famously put it well when he wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. But Jesus ends his explanation of this parable with with the hope of the word falling on a receptive heart, a a heart that receives the word and, and results in a spiritual harvest. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This crop or fruit that the Word is intended to produce in us is probably meant in a very comprehensive way. Um, Scripture speaks of God producing fruit in us in terms of our character. The famous fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit producing godly character in us so that we increasingly are renewed in the image of God. We reflect Jesus' own, uh, own character increasingly. But Scripture also speaks of bearing fruit in terms of reaping a harvest, in terms of, of God working through us in ministry to others. Paul writes in Romans 1.13 about his desire to visit the church in Rome that he might have a harvest among them, he says, just as he had among the other Gentiles. I said earlier that the sower in the parable is first and foremost Jesus, but that by extension it includes everyone else 
who shares the gospel or God's word with others. And friends, this is our calling as disciples. Saved people are sent people. Uh, the things that we've seen Jesus do, we're to do ourselves. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, the things that you've seen from me and heard from me in the presence of faithful witnesses, these pass on to others. Blessed people, blessed people, new creations in Christ are also ambassadors of Christ, reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation for the sake of others. A disciple, someone who hears and accepts and applies the word of God, is a person who joins God's mission to see his kingdom extended into the lives of others where we live and work and play across cultures and around the world. And we'll talk more about all of those things uh, in the weeks to come in this series. The point today is that we should not be satisfied, we should not be content with simply showing up to church if we don't see spiritual fruit in our lives. We don't want to just go through the motion and play religious games. God intends, indeed God is committed to producing fruit in us and using us to see fruit produced in the lives of others. And that only happens by His grace as we have receptive hearts toward His Word. Are you committed to His Word? What would it look like to respond, to have ears to hear and hearts to understand this calling to devote yourself to God's Word? Consider that as we pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices. You don't leave us to ourselves, Lord. You don't even leave us where you find us, but you speak to us. You communicate to us. You want a relationship with us. You long for us to abide with you and you with us as your word abides in us. Lord, would we be renewed in our minds? Lord, would we learn to take every thought captive? Lord, would we learn to share your vision, your priorities, your purpose, your values? Lord, would you shape our character as you use your word in our lives? Lord, as we spend time in your word in personal worship, Lord, would it not just be routine, but Lord, would we hear you speaking to us in your word? Lord, would we have a vital, growing relationship with you? Lord, would your, would your word be a delight to us, sweeter than honey, more precious than silver and gold? Make us like yourself. Father, use your word to that end, we pray in Jesus' name.